Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your host, Danny, and I'm here with my older brother, Sean. How's it going, everybody? And I'm the younger brother, Danny, of course, like I said. And thanks for coming out. We're going to talk about another movie today. So, And before we get to that, let's just say uh, drink up all you pledges out there because uh, this movie is exactly what you think it is. It truly is exactly what you think it is. And this movie delivers on, I think, the two most important parts of a horror movie. Wouldn't you agree, Sean? Uh, well, define those parts of a horror film for me, Danny. Well, I think number one is gore. Most definitely. And number two is tits. Right. <laughs> it definitely delivers on both accounts. But, you know, before we get to the movie, Danny, I think it's incumbent upon us to explain exactly what Fraternity is to the pledges. You know, we're still a new podcast. We're still... uh getting into it ourselves and connecting with our listeners so you know i'd like to discuss a few things about what we're doing here first and foremost i just want to say fraternity is a celebration of horror film most people who are listening to this podcast they've been impacted by horror films they have a connection to these films and that's one of the main things we're doing here, right? We're celebrating old connections and creating new ones. With me being the older brother who's been in the horror his entire life, and you not really even being into film when you were younger, so really coming into this with a lot of new perspectives. Yeah, I'm here to celebrate horror. I'm putting myself in your shoes, getting into it as you were a kid. And so I'm here to, I'm here to share it with you, and we're just here to have a lot of fun, you know? We're not here to super analyze or... Sometimes we will analyze and get deep, but most of all, we just want to enjoy these films and talk about them and bring new insight to the horror community. Yeah, that's one thing Danny and I had a long discussion on after the first podcast was it went kind of long. We really took a deep dive into Basket Case, which in all honesty, I'm very proud of. But we really want to celebrate what's on the screen in these movies. You know, this is not a behind the scenes podcast. There's a lot of that out there. You know, I've, I love bonus features. Bonus features are great, but I can't say that I'm like a bonus features guy. The film is the heart, and I love how these films got made. I love having film school in a box with these Blu-rays nowadays. But what we want to do here is really discuss the film. And, you know, I like what you said. You know, we're two brothers separated by 10 years. Horror is really about community. You know, I was thinking about it's generational. It's best when it's shared, you know, and how many listeners can say like, oh, I was introduced to this for, by my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother, you know, or just friends. You know, that's what we're doing here. Me and you are taking deep dives into these movies and taking all the pledges along with us. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And like you said, we're not scholars or filmmakers. We're just two dudes Two brothers that just want to sit back and discuss these films together and with all the people that are listening to us. Absolutely. This is our small contribution back to the horror community. And, you know, a lot of times I'll be sharing my experiences and I'm no different than any other fan out there. But we can truly say this podcast is by the fans for the fans. Fond memories 
fresh perspectives, and just an all-around good time. Yeah, we want you to feel like you just watched the movie with us and you're in on the discussion. That's kind of our goal for this podcast. Yeah. Is to be an, an open discussion and a friendly atmosphere. So sit back, relax. Yeah, come enjoy some horror with us. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of audio commentaries and, you know, you can't go wrong with one more. So with that said, without further ado, let's get into a little story, shall we? So last time we talked, we discussed me going to ZM video and picking up Basket Case. You're name dropping now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What I didn't mention was the other movie I got was Pieces. Pieces was a movie I had never heard of, but I'm just looking at this VHS box art right now, and I can tell you why I picked this up. I mean, we already dropped a little hint with the great tagline, it's exactly what you think it is. But it has an even better tagline in, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Huge fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm snagged right there. I mean, everything could benefit from marketing off of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Whether it's a bar and grill or anything, you don't have to go to Texas for human barbecue. Yeah, when you think about it, the setting of this film kind of is the exact opposite of Texas Chainsaw. You're up in the north and you're with these preppy college students. So it's pretty different. But yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Texas Chainsaw as well. And I went into this completely blind not knowing a thing, and I gotta say, really enjoyed it. So this was a first time viewing for you. Had you even heard of Pieces? No. Most of my information about horror movies comes from you. And this one, this is one I never, like, I heard a basket case, like I said, but this one I had never heard of at all. Yeah, it's weird because you, you know, Pieces should hold a high place on my mantle since it was the second movie that started my VHS horror collection. But I seem to have dropped in and out. Like, I know I've had it on DVD. I'm pretty sure I had the Blu-ray at one point. I don't know what I did with that. But I've had moments where I'm really hooked on this movie and moments where I'm not. I know I've seen it a dozen times, but it had been a while since watching it. And it was very fun revisiting this movie. So why don't we get right into it with our opening kill? What do you say? Our opening kill is quite shocking, to say the least. And holds back absolutely nothing. Yeah. We have a child, seven or eight years old, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. And brutally axe-murdering his mom. Yeah, it's 1942. Little Timmy is playing with a pornographic puzzle. Mommy walks in. And, you know, I thought this scene was very meta. Like, it can even be meta for a horror fan involving pieces. Because if you're a 14-year-old kid, say, you're watching Pieces... You just know if an adult walks in on you, they're walking in when they shouldn't when you're watching this movie. And you'll probably get the same reaction that Timmy gets from his mom. Oh, yeah. I think everyone can relate to having a parent walk in on something awkward during a movie or a video game. You know, they always seem to come in at the worst time. Yeah, most definitely. I kind of thought this was very reminiscent of the original Halloween You know, again, Michael Myers is a little kid who murders his sister. Obviously, circumstances are different here, but it's almost like the intro to Halloween, which I think is a pretty big influence on this film, taken to the logical extreme end of the spectrum. You know, like Halloween is nowhere near as gratuitous. And they just say, hey, you know, we can murder 
a mom with a kid here like Halloween, but will really make it twisted. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it doesn't hold back at all. Extremely bloody and gory and brutal. It makes you look twice at this kid. You know, is he the product of all this abuse from his mom or is he darker inside? Was he born that way? Yeah, and he had the foresight, unlike Michael Myers, to get away with his crime, you know. Is there anything better than his uh, big man, big man, mommy, mommy delivery? (laughs) Yeah, this kid can play the part of a helpless child when deep down he's the murderer all along. That was a wicked grin he had on his face, too, when he was sawing mommy's head off. Oh, he enjoyed it. (laughs) So little Timmy gets shipped off and gets away with the crime, and we jump 40 years into the future. And we've got an unseen killer unboxing some items. And he's got mom's bloody shoes, mom's bloody dress, the bloodstained puzzle. And that's one thing I thought was great when reanalyzing this film is we know the killer is Timmy, but we don't know who Timmy grew up to be. Yeah, uh, that's something I immediately liked again. You know, somewhat similar to Basket Cases. But this more so is a mystery film, a mystery horror film. Basically a whodunit, you know. Who is this murderer going around campus murdering all these women, all these poor young young women? Yeah, that's an aspect I think that can be lost because the film is so gratuitous in its violence and there are some ridiculous things. Like we're about to get to one of the first kind of ridiculous scenes, but the whodunit is well done. It's clever. It's a great story. And I think that aspect can be lost in a lot of different things. Like even the bad dubbing can detract from it at times. Yeah, I think under everything is a solid story. Maybe that's what's lost nowadays is that everyone wants the kills and the guts and the glory, like you said. Or that's just what you remember or that was what you were after, you know? Yeah, well, like you said, you always want wanted the goods as a kid. You wanted the movie to deliver. Yeah. But I think, you know, movies are multifaceted and can deliver on different things. It's good when it can deliver on a good story and have the guts and all that as well. And it definitely has all that. So I mentioned that we're about to get to one of the bizarre scenes. Like there's a few scenes scattered in this movie that elevate it into this gonzo territory. And the first one is sort of the girl skateboarding into the glass, right? Yeah, a bit of a confusing scene. Was there any way you interpreted this scene as to how it fit into the narrative? I mean, when we see her go through the glass, it cuts to when the mo- when the glass broke at, in little Timmy's room. I guess the way I see it is the killer, you know, he's, he's come this far in his life and he's done pretty good, but something in him is, is broken now and he has to start killing again, like he has that bloodlust. Now, as for the girl and the skateboarding, I'm not too sure if that has any meaning. Yeah, I know I'm drifting into like headcanon here, but... I like to to kind of interpret it as maybe like our killer who we won't reveal yet, maybe witnessed that. And maybe that was like a trigger event. Like maybe this is a little before he's unboxing this box, you know, maybe the sight of the broken glass triggered those memories and has set him on this course. But again, that's headcanon. That's I actually think, yeah, that's probably I think that's probably the intention is that something happens. He sees it. And he can't get those old memories out. It's definitely an oddball sequence. I mean, this girl is like the best skateboarder and the worst skateboarder at the same time. Like she gets through so much of this campus on one push. 
and then she can't seem to bail and avoid this giant piece of glass. This, this paperboy obstacle in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So eventually we get into the movie proper here and we start introducing our characters. We've got the Dean. We've got Lieutenant Bracken, who's played by Christopher George, who I love Christopher George. And hopefully this isn't the last time we see him in Fraternity. I was going to say the Lieutenant is my favorite character. Really? Yeah. And I was going to ask you, is he in any other films? Because I I think he is the best actor. I think he has the best lines. I think he's just has a great pre- presence throughout the whole film. Yeah, well, no spoilers, but we will definitely be seeing Christopher George again. Okay, well, that, I'm excited for that then. We've also got uh, Professor Brown. We've got Willard, the groundskeeper. <laughs> Creepy old Willard with his stank face. You know, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, too, we also get this first kill, the girl in the park. We don't know if it's the killer yet, but someone comes up with a chainsaw and he's doing work on some shrubbery. And then turns out it is the killer and she gets her head <laughs> clean off. Yeah, she's uh, she's down for the count. And this is one thing I really liked about Pieces, too, is Pieces always gives you the extra nasty, right? Like we get a sawed off head, but then we get like the twitching decapitated body or like in the first scene we have like it's not enough that we've just seen the mom bludgeoned to death with an axe but we get like the head being sawn off like they always give you the money shot you know there's always that little bit more yeah i love that they give you a little bit more than you were asking for and it totally delivers with every kill i think goes out of its way to just give you a little bit more to make you appreciate it also appreciate how this story is structured with the killer putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Like we almost pieces is such an apt title. The detectives are putting a pieces of a puzzle together. The killer is killing and getting pieces of girls' bodies. Like everything in this movie is done in pieces. Yeah, you just took my notes word for word, so now you seem like the smart one. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I agree 100%. It's a multi- multiple meaning title for sure through all aspects of the plot. And it really keeps the movie going. You know, like he puts the head together, we get a head. He puts the torso pieces together, we're getting a torso. We're in this bit where we're meeting all these characters because, again, this is a whodunit. So we need some red herrings, and there are red herrings all over the place. Professor Brown, my initial thought was. He seems too obvious to be the killer, so it can't be him. And then same thing for Willard. It's like, of course, you're going to suspect the guy with the chainsaw. So I don't think it's him. So almost immediately, I was like, it can't be either of these two. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy their characters. I actually like Professor Brown a lot. And one of my complaints is that I wish he was in it a little bit more just to give you more back and forth. Yeah, Professor Brown has a bit of a build where you think he might be a little more integral than he ends up being but without giving anything away let me do ask uh i want to ask if did you put it together before it was revealed let's not spoil anything but did you put the pieces together about halfway i made my guess and it turned out to be right yeah because i can't remember when i first watched this if i put it together or not but there's definitely some not so subtle clues throughout the film that make it a little obvious 
Yeah, but I think there are a few subtle clues that I noticed on my rewatch where I was like, oh, okay, like if you think about it, you can kind of figure it out. Kind of a blink and you miss it situation. But I wanted to say about the first murder of the girl in the park uh, when her head comes off. There's just like absolute geyser of blood, unrealistic amount of blood gushing from her neck. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that's a great shot, a great image. And it's a great, you know, like I said, when I first watched Pieces, I had no idea what I was getting into. Like, I had never heard of this movie. I had already seen pretty uh, out there films. Like, by this time, I had seen, like, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or Maniac, Evil Dead. So I had seen my share of gore films. But when you, you were picking up movies back then and you didn't have the wealth of information on the internet that you do today you're not sure what you're getting and pieces immediately delivers like you know you picked a good one if this is what you're looking for by that second kill even by the first kill you're like oh yeah this is the film within the first five minutes you know you've made a good choice when a mom is just broken apart into pieces and Right there, you got the title delivered. Eventually we meet, I guess, our hero Kendall in the library. Good old Kendall. Playboy Kendall. He likes, he gets, he gets, he has his way with the ladies. He puts the pimp in Gimp, I'll give him that. And I like how this movie takes the, uh, every American college girl is just horny and ready for action. Even if it's with a guy like Kendall. Uh, not his friend though. No one wants to get with his friend. I didn't really pay too much attention to that character, but, you know, we often like to discuss characters who didn't die, but you thought might. He is definitely in the running. But it fits with the themes that he wouldn't die. So we're about 20 minutes into the film, and we already get into, like, our third kill sequence, which is the kill at the pool. Any thoughts on this scene? Yeah, it's great rapid-fire kills here with this movie. And I like that she gets choked with the net. I think this movie is really great at putting you in framing realistic situations that could possibly happen to you in a horror setting. Someone could choke you with a net while you're not realizing in a pool. Like, that would be easy. It's kind of scary. It's these very mundane, realistic depictions of horror that I think is the movie's strong suit. Yeah, it's got an excellent pace in delivering the goods, as we say. And I thought this scene had a good creep factor. I like the bits of stalking from the killer. Our killer doesn't have an iconic look, but he's got that Euro horror giallo look going. Although at least he's not just a, a hand with a knife in it. We get more shots of him. He's got a, he's got a costume. He's got costume design. Oh, most definitely. He makes a, a, a good shadow for sure. He almost looks like the neighborhood watch guy. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? But yeah, there's good atmosphere in this scene. Even with this movie being so ridiculous as it can be at times, like he really lugs a chainsaw around, you know, like first he traps the girl and then he's like, let me go grab my chainsaw. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty, pretty slow, but hey, that's probably how it would work in real life. You can't do both. Chainsaws are pretty heavy. You ever held one? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's not the most uh, practical uh, piece of murder equipment, is it? The knife is still number one for swiftness. Yeah. One thing I did notice here, too, is I think this is our one and only off-screen kill. But we do we do get some good shots of the aftermath. Oh, yeah. there There's some money shots in there for sure. 
Kendall gets distracted by a note that will play a somewhat of a role in him becoming kind of partnered up with the detectives. He doesn't get to go see his girl. She's chopped up. We do get a brief sequence here that I gotta say, if there's one thing that disturbed me in this film, it's when the killer takes the torso to the freezer. The scenes with him taking the pieces of the bodies that he's just taken back to wherever he is, is almost as good as the kill itself. Yeah, I mean, who who steals a torso, honestly? <laughs> yeah, and the lieutenant even says, like, it's creeping me out the way that the, the, like, the body parts are missing. Like, what's up with that? Right, yeah, he expresses he's disturbed by all this as well. So Kendall and Willard, they discover the victim. That's where we get that money shot. Uh, there seems to be a little too many pieces for the human anatomies laying there. <laughs> then we get a ridiculous little fight scene with Willard on the cops. Willard is an absolute brute. The only thing that can stop Willard is a gun to his head. That's how good he was fighting. He fought off three guys. Police officers, no less. And it wasn't even a contest until that gun is drawn on him. And not to mention he had a two-by-four just snap when when it was struck with Willard's mammoth skin. He's awesome. So now we've got him set up as a possible killer. And then I thought this scene got a little ridiculous. Like Professor Brown wanders in for whatever reason, and the detectives decide to ask really dumb questions to an unqualified person. Professor Brown starts touching evidence, and I like how they ask him, like, do you think that could have been done with the chainsaw? He's like, even a layman can tell this was the weapon. <laughs> oh, I love Professor Brown. He's got some great lines in the beginning. Yeah, he's good. So yet again, we've still got a lot of mystery going on here. And now we're going to get into the film kind of gets into detective work. And then we get some like false scares. So I thought this would be a good time to kind of discuss like the film's influences. Because mm -hmm. this film is definitely an amalgamation of a lot that came before it. There's a lot going on here. Like, number one, we've got the early 80s slasher influence from Halloween to all the slashers that came out in 1980 and 81. I even had to check when this movie came out. It was 82 because, you know, it, it gave me Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, which is not yet a thing. So I feel like the teenager scenes, the scenes on the college with the kids, very, very 80s American slasher. And as far as Euro horror goes, I think this one captures the essence of the American 80s slasher the best. On top of that, we have the Giallo film, which, you know, we're talking Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Blood and Black Lace, all the Argento films, Bava stuff, you know, just even the killer has that look. And I'm not the biggest fan of the Giallo, but the way this one blends the Giallo with the American slasher, I think it nails it. And again, the Giallo is more in the adult realm where we have all the red herrings, where we have the police procedural stuff. So you've got the kids, which represent the 80 slasher. And then you've got the adults trying to figure everything out. And that's more the Euro horror style. And on top of that, you've got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre influence, obviously with the weapon. We've got a lot of Texas Chainsaw influence going on here. But I think it runs a little deeper than just like, oh, like we're influenced by Texas Chainsaw. I think you have to take into account even like the serial killer Ed Gein, you know, all the influences on film he's had, like 
Norman Bates from Psycho, again, Leatherface, the whole family from Texas Chainsaw, or even Hannibal Lecter. Because this killer is intelligent. And one thing that you would find in the Ed Gein story is mommy issues, which clearly this all stems from the mother issues. You know, he's making this jigsaw to dress it in his mother's clothes. So I think the way it takes all of these elements and blends them together makes this movie what it is, makes it as great as it is. And the other thing I'll say, too, is you do have a bit of an exploitation vibe in this movie. I think like it can be misconstrued as misogynistic because one thing I took note of is we never spend time with the female victims, but it serves the story. Because, you know, if you think about the slasher or the giallo, your victims are usually the main characters. You know, they're in the group of friends or they're, they play some more integral role. But in this, it's a guy killing girls on a campus to make a jigsaw. So it's going to be random victims. It's not going to, you know, you could say they could have structured a story around knowing the women better. All we ever get really is like the scene with the girl making the pass at Kendall or the girl playing tennis or the girl in a dance class, but we never really spend much time with them. So, you know, however you feel about that, I can see how it can be kind of, it elevates the film into like exploitation territory, I think, just because again, we don't ever get to know these victims. I can definitely see why someone would see it like that, but I think it all serves a greater purpose. Like it's there for a reason. Like as long as it is there to serve the story and to make the story make sense, then I don't see any problem with it. Yeah, I definitely think it fits in context. I personally don't think this film is misogynistic. I don't think it's exploitative. Like, I enjoy exploitation films regardless, but, you know, it's just something I took note of. Even the structure, you know, it's murder set pieces. It's random acts of violence, all to serve this greater purpose that this killer is trying to achieve. It's all part of a bigger story that our main characters are trying to crack. They're trying to solve it and put the pieces together. And it's funny you say all these influences, you know, this, you could say pieces is taking pieces of other influences and all putting it into this film. So maybe that that's another connection. Maybe that's another meaning for the title right there. Yeah, pieces everywhere. So we're moving along and we get a weird scene with uh, Lieutenant Bracken really taking Kendall under his wing. Like, he does everything but put the kid on the payroll. Like, he likes this kid. And then we get introduced to uh, Miss Mary Riggs. And this is going to be, they've discussed putting an undercover cop on the campus to help figure things out. Here's our female lead. Yeah, and then we get a, we get a brief sequence of now we have a, reporter snooping around yeah hearing rumors that something's going on on campus but no one's budging no one's giving her the info that she wants yeah then we move on to uh once miss riggs is established we get this brief tennis sequence which is another bizarre just ridiculous scene (laughs) like i love the shot of all the people watching the ball go back and forth and this was where our dean meets miss riggs and uh he doesn't have a very convincing chat with her when it comes to being inconspicuous so this far into the movie we have a head we have a torso and next on the agenda is arms and we've already seen some girls dancing in a studio and there was a brief stalking scene where the killer didn't quite get to achieve his goals 
but we're quickly brought back to the dance studio and the girl that he's after is now on her own and we get some good stalking bits and then i liked here once he the girl meets the killer and we establish that the students know who the killer is that's the one hint that i think i missed on the first time is when she said oh it's you sir because yeah then you realize okay it's one of the staff and someone that they're familiar with which i think takes willard out of the equation because he's only there for a job you know he's not a permanent worker on the campus yeah so we're kind of down to the dean and professor brown at this point and we discuss the practicality of hiding a chainsaw behind your back she must have been really, really blinded by the person that she saw that she really didn't notice the chains, the giant chainsaw behind behind his back. Yeah. And I got to say, like, if you're a killer and your weapon of choice is a chainsaw, I don't think an elevator is like the most opportune place to strike. Like blood is going everywhere and your escape just got a little more complicated, if you ask me. Like I said before, this movie's good at putting you in uncomfortable, realistic situations. Getting stuck in an elevator with someone that you don't want to be in an elevator with is, I think, a pretty common fear, or at least understood to most people. So, again, hats off to pieces for really showing these mundane situations in a horrific way. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk about was the brutality of getting your arms cut off. You know, it's one thing in a horror movie to get stabbed to death. Like, nothing is good, right? No way you're going to die in a horror movie is good. But to have your arms targeted just seems, like, viciously cruel to me. I I mean, you can't even imagine not having your limbs. And she's still alive at that point, realizing she doesn't have an arm now, kind of realizing her death is upon her. Yeah, they even mention, like, when they find her that she's alive. And thankfully, by the time she's getting carted out of there, she's not alive anymore. And, you know, no one wants to die. But that, I thought, was pretty brutal. Yeah, especially for a young woman. This killer is uh, very twisted and demented, as we've seen that he, as he was as a child. No, absolutely no remorse for his victims. He is serving a greater purpose with this puzzle, with these pieces he's attaining. So we've got another victim. The detectives arrive on the scene. And of course, everybody arrives on the scene. I thought this was like the perfect red herring lineup with everybody standing there while the thunder and lightning flash. It's like, it reminded me of like a super sick version of Clue. You know, like you got Colonel Mustard and Professor Plum hanging out and like everyone's wondering who the hell just chainsawed Miss Scarlet. Yeah. Our, uh, our suspects are very... Uh almost caricatures in a way similar to something like Clue. Yeah, and, you know, they are all characters yet again. So after this, we get a brief uh, sequence of our dear Kendall in the bone zone. Yet another beautiful young woman in bed with Kendall. And I love when he, he looks out the window to see Mary is doing her own snooping about. And we see uh, the shot of Kendall and the flower blocking his dingling. We see it for a second, but not in this shot. Yeah, there was some shadow schlong going on there. <laughs> and man, the dubbing was just too funny in this scene. Oh, God. And we're about to, speaking of uh, funny dubbing, we're about to get to another classic scene that I know fans of this movie just love. And I just got to ask you as a first time viewer. 
We're talking about <laughs> the bad chop suey. Oh, man. I'm glad you're bringing that up because I had no idea what to think about it at first, but it's a... Uh, I have no idea what to think about it now. It's quite the sore thumb of a, of a scene, to say the least. It's just so left field, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's what I wrote, is it just comes out of nowhere. It's so weird, and our, it may or may not be racist, I'm not here to say. <laughs> But I think that's what makes me like it. Is it's just a, such a weird scene that you would not see in any other film, but a horror film. Bad chop suey. Yeah, I know fans love this scene. I'm not for or against this scene. I get that we need like fake scares, like to pad some timing here. But this one is just a so oddball, like a little too a too far in the humor side of things but like i said it's so weird and out of left field that it comes around to being funny again <laughs> yeah you know this is our second episode of fraternity we've covered basket case and we're now covering pieces and strangely enough we've got schlong and kung fu in both yeah there's a lot of constants between these two films and i noticed in the first shot of the film not the first shot but the first scene with the mom she's looking through the toy basket and guess what it's a wicker basket oh wow yeah i didn't even pick up on that good catch dude so there's three connections right there for our first two episodes both made in 1982 so uh, i'm inclined to say 1982 is a great year in horror so kendall and uh miss riggs go out on patrol and then we get a really random act of violence. And I wanted to ask you, like, did you put together who exactly this chick was on your viewing? It's the reporter, isn't it? Yeah, I, it took me a moment to realize that because I was like, who is this? Is this the chick Kendall was in bed with? Is this the chick that mentioned having sex and smoking pot on a waterbed? So what's up with this waterbed on campus? First of all, this is the oddest looking campus I've ever seen. I really want to know like where this was filmed because it doesn't look like a school either way. Yeah, it's the it's the reporter, which I think makes sense because she's already established that she's looking for the scoop. She's on the hunt for the scoop, you know, the night crawler. She's going to find it no matter what. And yeah, that ends up being her demise. And it definitely makes sense why this killer would be motivated to take her out. What did you think of this kill? It's the only non-chainsaw kill in the movie. Yeah, I like this kill a lot. Uh, I'm not sure why the killer opted for the knife instead of the chainsaw. I guess you could say maybe this wasn't part of the plan. Like, this chick just had to be dispatched. I guess he doesn't need pieces here. Well, doesn't he take part of her anyway, I think? Or no? I'm not sure. It ends with her dead body kind of being dragged off the bed. Which, again, pieces always go in that extra mile. Like, this was a brutal scene. You know, it's shot in slow motion. You get a lot of splashing. A lot of... The the waterbed is popped open while she's been stabbed, and she still fights on. She's tough. And she's stabbed through the chest, too. Yeah. And she's not going easy, and we get water... Bloodstained water splashing about. And then if it weren't for that pesky failure of a rubber knife to the back of her head that I just can't stop noticing. Yeah, that's a that's unfortunate. 
but knife through the head always a good kill always a good way to end a kill and out the mouth a plus shades of house spider cemetery good stuff a seven on execution but 10 in overall presentation yeah this movie is moving fast it's delivering the goods tna everywhere for men and women gore abound we've had a wealth of victims up to this point and all we need now are some legs we're getting close to the puzzle being completed we get back to our uh, tennis student who's just wrapping up goes to the showers and soon enough our killer is on the scene he's using this marching band music to distract everyone else that might hear something he wants complete secrecy and he stalks this poor young girl again right after a shower another mundane situation with horror added on to it and she gets chased she gets chased into a bathroom and she gets split in half yeah we also get to see kendall looking like an uber manlet walking around in his tennis uniform with uh, miss riggs i was like is this really our hero is this really the man on campus like uh i'm not buying it yeah our victim here man she really sells it she's great you know he stalks her topless through this room with the chainsaw traps her in the room cuts through the door and there's a shot here where she pisses herself which i thought was a little much like i don't know like pissing yourself in terror i know this movie has gone there but overall i think it's fun it's like a fun movie but like when someone pisses themselves in terror, it, it's just exceptionally cruel in a weird way. I think that's just pieces going the extra mile, though. I'm for it. Show more of that, that true fear that we love to see here. Yeah, that's a great shot of her when she's leaning against the door and the chainsaw buzzes through. That was on the back of the VHS. Like that was the money shot. Oh, yeah. Great, great shot. This whole sequence is just perfection right up to where we get her getting sawed in half as Lieutenant Bracken will say while she was still alive. I think this might be the best kill just overall sequence. Like it's just perfect. Like there's no errors. It looks great and it has perfect tension. Yeah. It almost feels like the main attraction as far as kills go. And I mean, we're already so far in and this is like the last piece of the puzzle per se, you know, like once it's done, this should be it. And like, it really takes it all the way so we get Riggs and uh kendall trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the sound system willard's there and then eventually kendall discovers our victim Riggs goes and gets a look and delivers the best lines in the movie which again another fan favorite scene of the screaming bastard i don't know i feel like i was okay with one bastard i didn't need three or four her, I, I said I wrote down this is her Oscar moment. <laughs> it, it's Oscar worthy for sure. What's Oscar worthy too is the uh, the shot of our victim. Like that's a good shot of oh, yeah. her laying there severed in half. Yeah, some really good special effects. Some convincing special effects. Yeah, again, it's like it's gratuitous. It's vicious. But somehow I, I think it's fun in this movie. I can't explain it. Yeah, this movie definitely borders on it is very bleak and dark but it never feels that way like you said it is still fun i don't know how to explain it really what kind of atmosphere this movie captures but it captures it so well so the detectives are at their wits and they need a lead 
and they needed it fast. And our killer would be mission accomplished now, but we got one problem. The shoes don't fit. And he's going to have to make another kill. We have a few more scenes here with uh, Riggs and Professor Brown, Riggs and Kendall. Kendall goes to work with the cops to try to put their pieces together. And then we get a scene that's going to end up being our climactic scene where Miss Riggs goes to meet the Dean. And everything really starts to come together real quickly here. Before we get get on to that, I just want to say some Wendy's product placement when Kendall's helping out. It's amazing how consistent Wendy's uh, has been in their product. I was like, I know that Wendy's. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I still get those fry boxes today. Yeah, Wendy's is kind of the only one who's kind of stayed consistent with their branding and she got to appreciate. So Riggs and the Dean start talking and it's getting real obvious that the Dean is our killer. He's nervous. Didn't expect this visit, and he's going to have to take action. We see him making the coffee and making the tea. A little bit jittery, a little bit on edge. He's even more unhinged now. His mission isn't accomplished. I mean, again, the real fatal flaw here for the killer is that the shoes didn't fit and that he's about to make a real sloppy choice of a victim here. He didn't think this one through, that's for sure. So what do you think of the Dean as the killer? You know, for the first half of the movie... He was kind of, I don't know, I didn't really pay too much attention to him. He was kind of in the background for me. And I think that's a testament to, yeah, a good story is a good reveal is one you're not expecting. But once I started to think about it more in the middle of the movie, that's when I was like, okay, it has to be him. And I think he plays it really well. I like this dude as an actor. He's got some good lines just as much as the lieutenant or anybody else. You know, I'm very strong. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah he's he sells it being he sells being a dean but he also sells being a complete devoid of empathy psychopath yeah there's a, f- a switch that flips here with him where like he is definitely creepy he's definitely scary i thought it was very effective like of all the scooby-doo-esque like killers in a whodunit movie where it's like oh it's this guy He's one of my favorites. You know, there's some out there that just don't deliver. But this one, I think I think he's a great character. And again, it's like he's not he's not stupid. You know, he's a dean of a college. Clearly, he has screws loose. Clearly, something set him off. Comes back to the mommy issues. You know, it's he's he's very Norman Bates. Yeah, definitely. He definitely has a bit of that childhood still stuck in him. You know, he hasn't moved on. I guess when you get away with a murder when you're seven, it's hard to shake it. You know, like, clearly you're good at it. you got to feel invincible at that point. And I'm sure the dean felt like he could do anything and get away with it. Not to mention he ended up being the dean of a college, a well-respected one. Probably felt on top of the world for a while. So while all this is going on, Kendall with the detectives figures out that the dean had a name change. And indeed... They kind of figure out what happened at the beginning of the movie. And they're like, this is the best lead we got. So they're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and they're going into action because they got to follow this up. He's laying out everything because he don't want to mess up his place. He's getting ready to cut her feet off. And I thought it had um, shades of films that haven't even come to be yet in like American Psycho. You know, there's a sequence like this and that when he kills. Paul Allen 
or the climax of Audition. I'm name dropping two big time movies here that are great. And then I look back at pieces and for everything it's done so far, that's great. It's like here they were already touching on subject matter and sequences that would come to define movies that are still 20 years away. Yeah, you definitely can't overlook pieces with what it's doing and just how fresh and early on it was into the into horror. So the cops and Kendall, they arrive in the nick of time. They break in, find Miss Riggs, laying there drugged. And then they act really lackadaisical in the middle of an active crime scene and just kind of leave Kendall there. Well, I guess he's not here. Yeah. It's very effective, too, how Kendall's trying to help Miss Riggs, and she obviously knows the Dean is right there, but can't express it. You're, you're screaming at Kendall, like, no, no, look behind you. Yeah, I like how uh, he sneaks Kendall. Kendall catches it right at the right, at the last minute. Freaking Riggs face plants, because she's still paralyzed, and then... Riggs and Kendall struggle because you know the Dean is very strong, but Kendall has youth on his side. And right at the last minute, Bracken shows up, perfect headshot. The Dean goes down. And there goes our killer. And I think it's interesting that while our characters did find out who the killer was, they never really found out the real truth behind what happened between the Dean and his mom that died with him. That's true, is they don't really get into the why, which probably makes the next bit even more disturbing for them when they do find the puzzle and then one of the detectives leans up against the wall and it's sort of like one of those haunted house fake bookshelves goes twisting around and there is the human jigsaw. Yeah, we get a good good scare there. That one that one at least, that one got me. That was probably the only scare that kinda got me a little bit. Poor Kendall catches this thing and is just mortified. And this could be the ending of the movie right here. I mean, we could have already had a few endings here, but we've got one last bit to go. Would you like to explain what happens next? I will gladly explain the final scene of Pieces. Let's hear it. So Kendall, he's recovering from the shock he just had from finding that horrible, disgusting, can you even call it a person? thing hanging from the wall even even still he's a he's a good kid he he still wants to you know maybe pursue a career in policing we're about to exit we're about to exit the room the dean's office but kendall turns around he forgot his jacket so he goes to get his jacket and this zombified corpse on the ground comes up lifts its head up and grabs kendall by the crotch and squeezes his jewels not only squeezes, but they erupt in blood. And that's it. That's the end of pieces. Now, before we recorded, I had talked to you. I, I didn't say what, I didn't give you any spoilers, but I said I thought it would be fun if we tried to interpret the final scene. You know, I know that it's a trope in like 80s horror. Even 70s horror to have that final jump scare, whether it's Jason jumping out of the lake or the scene in, at the end of Carrie, you know, there's tons of them. And Pieces has a good one. You know, you could say, okay, it's just some stupid final 
shock just to leave you again it's such a popcorn flick it's fun that's a fun scene but i think it would be fun to try to interpret it in the context of the narrative so did you come up with anything i did actually and look pieces isn't afraid to do the cheap scare i think we've established this nothing wrong with a cheap scare right you know we have the chop suey scene we have the scene right after that we didn't even talk about is when Kendall says goodnight to Miss Riggs and he turns around and the dude in the mask scares him. Casanova. Casanova. Yeah, another extremely cheap thrill. I tried to block the super nerd out of my memory. Yeah, you didn't like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not very much. He's, he's kind of a wasted... He's a throwaway. If we want to get into the nitty-gritty of what maybe this scene means, Kendall is a youth. But throughout the whole film, he's getting to know these police officers and he's kind of longing for adulthood, but they're still kind of treating him like a kid. You know, they don't want him to get hurt, but they know he's a good kid. They know he has a bright future ahead of him. And we juxtapose that with the dean who just can't seem to get away from his childhood trauma. He's been triggered again. He's going on all these murders. And he's longing to make this puzzle and finish this puzzle from his childhood, either to complete it as the figure in the puzzle or his mom, as it suggests, she it, it is wearing the clothes that his mom wore in the end. And so is he just, you know, the Dean wants to be looked at as someone who is to be respected and very manly, like he said, powerful. But deep down, is he just a big mama's boy? And Kendall, while he is still young, he shows a lot of aspects and characteristics that are to be respected in a man and the dean gets his last laugh and he crushes kendall's manhood that's a good one all right my interpretation of it again comes back to the ed gein norman bates psycho influences because like you said i'm pretty sure the jigsaw is supposed to represent the mother why else would he put its her clothes on it and my thoughts were, if you go back to the opening scene, she finds Timmy playing with the smutty puzzle, and it just flips her shit. And she tells him, if I ever see you playing with anything like this again, I'll kill you. Now, one thing we didn't really mention is Kendall, despite his chud-like appearance, is a Casanova for some reason. And there's a scene where he's telling the nerd about all his sexual conquests on campus. So in his own way, I feel like Kendall is a deviant just like little Timmy was. And now we have this representation of mother and through whatever spiritual forces, it comes back to life, sensing the deviancy of Kendall and fulfilling her promise to little Timmy. That's a really good interpretation. I think both of our interpretations are as good as... Uh, any, which I'm sure there could be many. I'd love to hear more from any pledges out there who have their own interpretations of the glorious ending to pieces. I think it's safe to say we both love this film. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know what it is about horror that I'm realizing now, but like the more I rewatch these films, the more I am enjoying them. And I'm not one to usually rewatch stuff immediately, but I'm having a lot of fun going through these films and watching them for the first time for pleasure, and then the second time kind of looking at the deeper themes and analyzing them and taking notes. But I know you've seen some of these films five, ten times in your lifetime, so I think there is something there to really dig into, and I guess I'm just realizing that for the first time. 
Well, that's awesome to hear. And, you know, it's really fun revisiting these films 15, 20 years later. I think I probably saw pieces like five years ago before we decided to record this podcast. So it had been a while. I've definitely seen pieces over a dozen times. Never gets old. Never a dull moment. And I'm glad we could put this together, man. Thank you to everyone listening. If you haven't seen this film, go check it out. And we're going to talk about our favorite kills and our favorite scene really quick. So, Sean, do you want to open favorite kill? Favorite kill? I was tempted to go with the waterbed kill, but I think I'm just going to have to go with the tennis girl getting sawed in half because that whole sequence just really delivers. I think it's just a masterclass of slasher cinema. How about yourself? That's a solid choice, and I would agree 100%, but I gotta go with the waterbed, just because for what it lacks and maybe a little technicality, it makes up for and just straight up, what's the word I'm looking for? Brutality? Not brutality, but it's just different. It's special. It has that slow-mo, has the knife through the back of the head, it has the water and the blood mixing together, just splashing everywhere. It's just got style. That's what I, that was what I was meant to say. It's got a lot of style. It definitely stands apart. And I mean, let's face it, we have a lot to choose from in this movie. And you can't really go wrong with any choice. Yeah, there's five or six kills in this whole film, which is a lot. It's just on the heavier end when it comes to horror. So did you have a favorite scene? You know, I guess you can call me a pieces fan because I cannot say anything other than the chop suey scene. (laughs) really it just like i said it took me by such a surprise that it just i have to say it's my favorite there's nothing else to say it's just that good if if you don't even want to watch pieces just watch that scene awesome awesome i myself will just go with the opening kill with the mother because that scene sets the tone if you're a 13 year old kid who somehow managed to find a copy of pieces and you put that on and see it you know you're in for a wild ride, and indeed you are. So is there anything else you wanted to say about pieces? Uh, I think we've just about covered it here. I guess we can just thank everybody for listening, and that we hope everyone enjoys this podcast and pieces as much as we do. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, If you have any email, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us. We have an email now. It's fraternity at gmail.com. Anything at all, let us know. Thank you for listening and tune in next time. Uh, Indeed. Thanks for listening. And until next time, just keep telling yourself it's only a movie.